crazy world we live in, when people use the word geek, it can create certain impressions. In reality, geek culture has never been more mainstream. Let's learn about the real people behind the stereotype. I'm your super dummy Paul. This is Geek. Hello, my name is Adam Ray. I'm one of the co-founders here at Fantastic Universes alongside Steve Ray. I write for the various tabletop and PC gaming articles about it on this website, as well as Dungeons & Dragons supplemental articles on Apotheosis Studios. I have produced basically every podcast that you find on that website, as well as just the upkeep of some of the articles there. I also turn my hand to visual media by dungeon mastering games for the fine people over at No Ordinary Heroes, and I make lots of video Let's Plays on YouTube with some of my friends from university. I make a lot of content. I'm very proud of the content that I've made. It's not got the viewership that I would like, but big things have small beginnings, and I've read somewhere that content creators don't really get their recognition after the first, say, three years of the hard grind, but that's not why we do it. We do it because we love what we're doing and we believe in it. I do quite a lot, to be perfectly honest. It's a mixture of writing hard-hitting think pieces about the various PC games that I'm involved in. We'll talk about this a lot, but the actual title, Gamer, is something that I've actually had to sort of come to terms with as to whether or not I call myself that, in addition to some of the writing that I do as just like looking at it across section i miss fiction but i mostly write journalistically now which is fine i'm i was taught back when i was doing my degree that all writing is writing and it's good and it contributes to stuff and then there's the video editing work which is just something i've really learned to love over the past year that the world's been closed it's a whole other way to tell stories that i've learned to appreciate and i'm really grateful that's the creative medium i've got myself into there's one guy I follow on Twitter, I can't remember his name, but he's a writer, and basically every single day he's posting something like, as long as you're writing, you're writing. doesn't matter what it is, just do it. It reminds me of one of my lecturers um, back when I was studying my degree. Uh, I won't uh, throw out any names, I want to keep them anonymous, but they'll know who they are when I provide the description of a boisterous Jamaican woman. She has very strong opinions constantly and would always strive to bring the best out of all of you. And she always talks about this little anecdote that I'll never really shake that whenever she would catch up with an old alum, she'll always say hello, be polite, let them talk things through. But then at the end, she'll always get them with the question of how's the writing and how is the writing. And she's always a little sad and they say, oh, it's been a long time or, oh, I haven't really written anything. So... I always told myself that I would never let myself get to that place. And for the first time in a while, I'm actually very proud that I am actually in that place. It's not the writing I would have expected, but I am still writing about things I care about. It's never to say that like I'm done writing fiction because during my degree, I wrote a lot, obviously for a degree, into just having full set manuscripts of fantasy fiction just mostly polished and ready to go and i have next to no excuse other than that i've kept myself really busy as to not really send them anywhere and that's honestly a big point of shame for me and i think if anyone out there is listening who knows any good literary agencies do um, shout out to us on social media so that 
um, fairly run-of-the-mill but still interestingly themed fantasy fiction can go somewhere. I've had the set of instructions for how to self-publish on Amazon for a while, and it's something I probably should do. I may need to take another pass at them, but who knows? Maybe my story set in the, the good realm of perdition might appear on the Amazon Marketplace soon. Jeff, you monster. If he's still in charge of Amazon, I don't know if he is. Who cares? He looks like Les Luthor. He can't be trusted, but his his company does a lot of convenient things. Outside of geekness, to be perfectly honest, I don't think I exist. I honestly think my appreciation for pop culture, science fiction, fantasy fiction, board games, PC games, those are my personality. And I suppose that sort of compares me to like the stereotypical like uber sports fans that have the throws and the team badges and like team posters everywhere just to let that sort of define their personality and honestly that level of fanaticism as long as it doesn't go to extremes i don't see anything personally wrong with it i hold these lyrics from a very old but still amazing fallout boy song as a personal motto i was listening to it before i actually started our discussion uh it's the song save rock and roll featuring for our boy Milton john you are what you love not who loves you i've said this quite often that it and it often sort of confuses and upsets people because that's a point that i truly stick by i don't identify myself as someone with spanish heritage i don't identify myself as a person who's six foot four i to be perfectly honest these days i barely identify as male I'm a science fiction fan. I'm a fantasy writer. I have maybe 30 or 40 sets of dice to my name. I have platinum rankings in every game that I care about. Those are the things I choose to define myself with. And I'm okay with that. There's elements where I could be more independent in my own person, but that's... Everyone has that. Everyone has the family backgrounds and the heritages and the drives to go out and be something bigger than themselves but those are necessities especially in today's day and age what you choose to do what inspires you what keeps you humble what keeps you energized what gets you excited what gets you frustrated those things actually make you unique even if it's an amalgamation of lots of other things that people are interested in because even if that's true that brings people back together mutual interests, that tribal re representation and respect for lots of different things, that keeps people together whilst still having their own place within it and what they take out of it. Honestly, I'm okay with not having a much of a, much of a identity outside of heavily geek nature because I see geek nature as something so wide that it can define everyone so perfectly while still keeping them all contained within a large people to be involved in geek culture is to love as many or few things as you want honestly sometimes at the point of obsession but then again when things get exciting enough we can jump between obsessions and interests as well as we need to not to say everyone is i know some people who will be surely devoted to one fandom one tv show one set of games one franchise of characters for ever and that's okay too that's why it's so inclusive that's why it brings the best out of people because we appreciate things harder in a way
think the earliest things that drew me into what would like be generally classed as geek culture would probably be the earliest memories I have because I'm probably going to assume I'm one of the youngest people that's been talking on this show so I sort of grew up around it uh previously on the show Steve Ray raised me on science fiction the first strong memory I have was the Lost in Space remake in from 2001 with Matt LeBlanc that movie just blew my mind just seeing high intense science fiction that family and that adventure going through space and time fighting strange spider-like aliens fight fighting rebuilding destroying robots into all of that stuff and that just inspired me from the very beginning that there was something greater outside ourselves that you could just find if you just got on a spaceship hundreds of thousands of years in the future after that my first film i saw in the cinema was the phantom menace the questionable but still very memorable star wars prequel i'll never forget the enchanted feeling even though i don't necessarily remember the experience of it i remember it just being so resonant and sticking with me that stories of grandiose things that could never happen in our world are far more interesting to me than anything that could happen in our world and that's an opinion that has never changed that's an opinion that has founded and rooted in my personality science fiction really dominated my early thinking between it jumped from star wars into doctor who into more doctor who because a british kid growing up in the 2000s you can't escape david tennant anywhere the interest into fantasy fiction came with the lord of the rings around the same time to seeing two very similar but very different genres and how big and grand things can be when you put yourself somewhere other than this world it's good to escape sometimes to an extent i feel that escapism is the foundation of those who truly love like high-end fantasy and science fiction like the quote-unquote geeky fiction the world outside is very confusing and unfriendly if you have mystical powers or if you had future tech a lot of your problems would be solved or at least the feeling that a lot of your problems could be solved and that security in that peace is just very comforting fantasy and science fiction definitely formed my tastes because that would also lead me to Stuff like alternative electronic music, metal, hard rock. But then towards the my education, especially in my college, my A-levels, when I turned 17 or so, one what I didn't realize would be one of the best things that had ever happened to me happened spontaneously. Uh, a very tall Northern England man, a fellow student in the same year as me, approached me and said, hey, have you ever played Dungeons and Dragons before? I was honest. I said, I've heard of it, but I've never played it. Oh, you're going to come play it with us? I am. Yes, you are. So he pulled out these immense books, slapped them down on the table with some papers, handed me a pencil, say, all right, you're in a world of magic and monsters and mystery. You could be anything or anyone. Go. So I created a fairly generic, uh, edgy priest to the gods of death and went along with him and what would then go on to be some very dear friends to play some Dungeons and Dragons. And this was Dungeons and Dragons in like 2017. This was the, no, not even 2017, earlier. 2017 was when the good version came out. This was back when fourth edition came out. And that was back when Dungeons and Dragons was an MMO trying to like ape 
stuff like World of Warcraft and other PC games. So it was very modular by the numbers and doesn't have the exploration and freedom and creativity and customization that it has today. But it was my first experience with it and it will hold a place in my heart, even though it's trash. And that is part of the charm, I'd say. You can look past the bad side of things while still recognizing that they are bad. With that little jump into into gaming, I was then approached by another friend who said, hey, do you want to run these games for us to be the storyteller at the head of the table? And that moment utterly changed my life because that led me to create the world and the setting that I put into all of my fantasy fiction. It led me into my university where I played my games in that setting for people that have become lifelong friends, the people that I run my YouTube channel with. They are friends I all met over Games of Dungeons and Dragons. And with my reputation for it, that led me into my current place of work, writing Dungeons and Dragons stuff for Apotheosis Studios, into my current romantic relationship and all of her friends where I get to play Dungeons and Dragons broadcast onto Twitch for quite large audiences sometimes. So those games I don't I don't know where I'd be without them I don't know if I'd be here in any sense of the word as as hearted and sad as that may sound for apotheosis for my current writing job I approached them because I had extensive writing experience of course with my degree and I've been writing comics reviews on Darkline News and DC Comics News I had been because when I joined that college I went through a very big personal turnaround because of my intense love of like science and far off strange things that could be brought into the real world, I studied science very heavily, but it was towards that GCSE sort of level, that 15, 16 year old level that I realized I didn't quite have the knack for it. I didn't quite have the literal process driven, number driven, rational thinking that you would need to be a decent scientist, but I was very abstract. I was very broad-minded I was very daydreamy I was very thoughtful and it was at that moment I sort of pivoted away and started learning and studying literature and it was only then that I realized that's actually what I was meant to be and that's when I started to actually excel after that and going into my degree the academic process was sort of beaten out of me I didn't really find the love for it but I kept creating writing whatever way I could I had found what I was actually good at instead of what I enjoyed doing just because it was close to what I thought was I was interested in the old idiom of if you love what you do you never work a day in your life that's a very nice idea but it's not entirely true I love what I do but it is work but it's work that I'm okay with it's work that forces myself to get inspired because a lot of people have this assumption that it's like your J.K. Rowling's or your Neil Gaiman's that they can just turn up at a keyboard and worlds will just unfurl out of them. It's not necessarily letting paint run across a canvas. It's more like a sculptor at a stone with a hammer and chisel. You have to let the writing discover itself. You have to very slowly chip away at it. Uh, of course, during my education, one of the a lot of my early forms of gaming was in well, was on consoles mostly on xbox and i'll always remember this uh 
sort of turn of phrase from one game I really love that really deserves a sequel, but still hasn't got one yet. Alan Wake. It's about uh, it's a horror detective story about a writer who's trying to find his lost wife Emma uh, after she was disappeared in their cabin in the woods. But he's a writer going through writer's block, and that's a big theme for the story. Writing. This is what they say in the game. Writing is an organic give and take relationship between the writer and the actual written word. They start by laying down characters, setting themes, plot, and let it sort of meander around. But eventually, once it gets to like a critical mass, the writing itself starts to take a form of life. It starts to want things and it starts to demand things. No, this character can't go off in that way. No, we can't let this character die off yet. They still have other things they need to do. These plot threads are left undone, but you have to let the writing do what it wants. And that's a very natural and organic thing that honestly throws off a lot of people because you think it's an expressive, free, creative process. And it is at first, but you then really need to let yourself get into the place where, okay, so this is going to happen and I need to push myself onto it. When it gets to that spot, you have to really make yourself say, all right, I am writing this thing, especially in my work, because it's mostly non-fictional. I'm writing this article talking about this kind of thing for this many words. You do have to put a process on it, but even then, if you still know and love and understand what you're writing about, you can let it evolve and grow naturally, which is, honestly, I think what is defined by good writing, you can clearly communicate it but also not feel pressured into doing something insincere sounds like your time as a dungeon master kind of prepared you for work as well in that you know when to take control when not to take control and when to just let it flow honestly yeah uh the term dungeon master is a thing i wear with personal pride and honestly i can see even when talks of the Game of Dungeons and Dragons evolving and changing, or hopefully not, at least considering that the current version is perfect. It's all speculation at this point, but the term Dungeon Master is a point of pride that I'll take forever because personally, the tabletop role playing game model of a few people sitting around a table, sometimes with dice, sometimes without, is still personally the most pure and effective means of storytelling. It's as close as we still have to. Uh, Crow Magnum man sitting around a campfire talking about natural, natural spirits because we are sharing the story together and we are letting certain handfuls of characters evolve and go where they need to. It's very easy for certain dungeon masters to just let themselves be the one brain kind of guy saying, this is what happens, it is the law, this is exactly how it goes. Uh, you can't travel, the borders are closed. This doesn't, this doesn't work in this part of the land. No, it's the wrong time of year for that. They can railroad is the term for it in the gaming. They can put their players on a strict railroad saying this is how it goes. It goes this way. No, no flexibility, but that just takes the sincerity out of the story. You are one person out of anywhere between four and six voices. You have to be willing to let stories go and change. And honestly, some of the best experiences and some of the best stories I've ever told have been where I've just stood back let the people I'm playing with make a decision and it goes on to create something truly memorable. And I'm like, wow, thank you. You've actually added to the story even. And they never realize it. That's the other little magic of it. You can let yourself express and explain 
everything that they're experiencing. But when they go on and put their agency into it, that branches off the path into their specific way or another. You could sit there with two, three, four pages of planned notes for what they're expected to run into. But if they just make one key decision, they'll you will take those th- three or four pages, scrunch them up, throw them across the room. But if you're a good game master, you'll be okay with that because you've been able to tell a more interesting story that encompasses everyone. I think the big thing that uh, storytelling in that way really lends itself to is improvising. I've taken a lot of like acting and dramatics courses as part of my education, my, my GCC and my levels, both in drama and theatre, but um, I've not actually had the formal improv training that a lot of professional great dungeon masters go through. The principles, though, are still fairly easy to sort of grok. It's you never flat out reject anything anyone ever says. Just like an improv, you either go with yes and, yes, and then this also happens, yes, yes, but there's a difference to it, or no, but there's another thing you can do. And as long as you can dress up those three phrases, you can tell a story with a bunch of people sitting around a table, whether it's with dice to add chaos and flair and those without. But some people in this day, in this world that we live in, as crazy as it may be, they are very fixed into their routine. I'll wake up at 7am, have this thing for breakfast, sit in the same traffic to go to the same job that I tolerate because it will set me up for a decent retirement. It will get me home to the same time, watch the same reality TV, go to bed at the same time, rinse and repeat. That, that world of crushing monotony and paralyzing terror, as John Green puts it, is actual terror i accept that like there's a grind to living in this world but like i said the things that define people as geeks keep people energized so that that circular nature keeps people energized enough to want to do thing do that job for something they want to do it because they need to get their warhammer army painted and uh upgraded for the next session of the game shop they need it because they need to go to this convention out of town in a couple of months, they need to do it so that they can meet those actors at this once-in-a-lifetime gathering across the world. That kind of excitement, it it's what people live for. Like in Dead Poet Society, I, I will keep quoting things and making aphorisms and references all over the shop, but, oh, how did Warren Williams put it? The genius, rest well, friend. Um engineering, science, mathematics, politics, those are necessary pursuits that are needed to sustain life, but poetry, beauty, romance, nature, those are things we live for. It's so important to recognize that it's okay to be excited by things. It's okay to choose what you love. It's okay to go out there and recognize that there is more out there than the crushing monotony and paralyzing terror of the 21st century. And... It's okay to see that there's something beautiful in getting wrapped up in a story or getting wrapped up in something something else has created. It's so easy to see that everything's a little bit crap and hopeless, but it's only hopeless because you've chosen it. Life has its value based on what you put into it. You are what you love, not who loves you. Most Ruby Gaming is as long as storied as it is with my history with uh, appreciating science fiction and fantasy it's 
can't remember how old I must have been. I must have been like eight or nine, nine or ten. Bad at bad ages, bad at history. But when I received one of the best presents I ever received, the Nintendo GameCube, the pinnacle of console gaming. Honestly, it still holds up. It really weirdly still holds up. But yeah, I received that, the copies of Mario Kart Double Dash and Sonic Heroes, and that's where I started. And I still hold those early platformers as early consoles as my, my beginnings into that, going into Xbox 360 and where my love of comics started to meet with games, with Batman Arkham Asylum, something I'm a friend of ours, Dan, has talked about quite heavily. Those escapes with a story built into it, the first sort of games I really loved, the narrative-driven sort of role-play, sort of procedurals, um, Batman, uh, Assassin's Creed, and then some Halo, some really weird stuff like uh, Crisis, um, Vanquish, really weird stuff that people have forgotten but I hold really dear. Alan Wake that I mentioned earlier, probably my favorite game on the console still, and nothing's really come close to it in terms of like how much I've bonded with a character, and that's why I probably saw my first affinity in writing and storytelling. But as my education got more serious and more grounded, my time on my consoles grew less and less. But then my interest towards uh, tabletop gaming started to really grow. Between that one very tall Northern England friend who got me involved with Dungeons & Dragons, um, at the same time, our circle of friends would always have a deck of cards and we would play various sort of card games over our lunches and wherever we were out of our lessons. We were known as the noisy nerd table at the back of the canteen because we always dominated those four sets of tables and we would always play sort of like Snap, an Irish Snap and a Russian card game called Idiot, stuff like that. And then after a while, we would bring in stuff like Flux and Uno and other themed games like that and that interest in me sort of grew i always sort of kept it to my mind now but it never really came to a big deal until i went to university the first week there i made all my lessons obviously but i was far more excited to go to the first session of the gaming society there at the university there on the top floor of the main literature building i met a bunch of other people and just sort of gathered scooped them towards me like pastries with the intent of getting them involved in playing Dungeons and Dragons and the friends that I sat there with are the same friends that are with me today recording Let's Plays on YouTube. A few weeks after that, uh, the president of the Gaming Society sat me down and said, hey, have you ever heard of Magic the Gathering? A lot of, like, a lot of the things that are really important to me have started with someone else saying, hey, have you ever heard of this? Um, he sat me down with his all-black vampires deck and explained the gist of the basic rules and said, these are your lands. You use them to pay for the cards in your hand. Uh, you attack them down to 20. That's usually how, from 20 to zero, that's usually how you win. There are five colors. There's the basics. But I sat down and I thought, okay, feel like a powerful wizard, but there's also a lot of strategy and a lot of luck and de- variance here, as you'd expect with most card games. And then at the end of the gaming society session, he said, all right, bring in some little, little deck boxes. So sure enough, I went to a game store, got some deck boxes, went back to the gaming store, and he filled those boxes with spare cards that he didn't really care to keep anymore and that got me into card gaming and card gaming is probably the thing i play the most now between online versions of magic the gathering uh the league of legends themed card game skyweaver is still in beta but i'm quite 
turn my hand at that. Uh, I've recently discovered a World War II themed card game on Steam, which has been quite interesting. It's nice that they've been able to branch out from the fantasy genre that sort of occupies cards. Um, at the same time as I got into that early collection of Magic, my very best friend, I love him dearly, I pushed some of the double cards onto him so that we could, uh, so I had someone to play against because that's generally how those games go. You don't really, you can't really solitaire it. You need a, an opponent or a teammate. We learned together at the same time, and that was the foundation of our friendship. And it's the foundation of a lot of friendships, to be perfectly honest. As I got more and more seriously involved in Magic, I started to move up and down the country for Grand Prix, now called Magic Fests, sort of convention-style events over a long weekend where all you do is play Magic across all of the different formats. The creator of the cards and the people who illustrate and design the stone them and uh, write some of the story surrounding them would all be there for appearances. Other people that play games sort of on Twitch or on YouTube come there for events and the high level main events bring in the professional players for big cash prizes i miss gps greatly because they've been closed for obvious reasons and with the world closing my love for magic sort of waned as the game sort of made a turn that i didn't particularly love but it's always been there and i'm from where i'm sitting right now i can see possibly 3,000 cards, uh, all very neatly sorted by colour and by date released. And it's a big part of my soul, and I'm very proud of it. I feel like with when you look back at your life and your decisions so far, it's like a very old jumper. If you start pulling at the threads, how soon till it unravels and you worry about, okay, if this didn't happen, would I be here and if this didn't happen, and it would be a it would be a domino effect that leads into an existential crisis. But it's a it's a thought experiment that I honestly think people should do. A lot of people are like are, are, are willing to say, "I don't care how I have something, just that I have it." They're very willing to say, "All right, this is the this is my lot in life. This is where I am. Things have gone this way, and that's just the way it is." It's important to question your surroundings just to make sure that the things you value are actually your own to that extent that's why it's a little scary for me because i didn't necessarily no that's not true i was going to say i didn't necessarily choose all of these interests but i did because i could have looked at these stories and thought ah they're fantastical to never happen oh this game's far too complicated i could never possibly keep up with it i did choose all of these interests and i'm very grateful to each teacher and each signpost that led me on this path i can't imagine what things would be like without them do you think because you said about the the term gamer it's interesting you say that because when you when people say oh i'm a gamer you immediately think oh they play on consoles and there still is a bit of a a divide between people who play video games and people who play card games. There is a little element to that. There's a little element of the divide between certain kinds of gamers. But then again, I think that's just another side of how broad and diverse geek culture could possibly be. There's even within not uh, even with the talk of different kinds of gamers aside, I love the confusion. I still give quote unquote normies people who aren't necessarily like high geek 
I say, oh, I'm really into card games. And they say, oh, like poker. No, 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 like magic. Like, and they have to, they have to really process about what kind of things aren't those cards. But I, that's just a thing that I find personally quite funny. Uh, there's been a lot of growth towards a sort of meeting of the two different kinds of gamers as of late. The movement of certain kinds of tabletop things coming onto PC has really helped that. Stuff like Tabletop Simulator, where you can play pretty much everything by MB into a lot of stuff by Asmodee, Jello, um, and a lot of the big ups in the board gaming world. You can still play them quite well online, especially which has been a godsend this, this past year while the world's been closed. At the same time, the the gaming world has all started to mirror and match piece, um, tabletop in a way. There's a lot more procedural turn-based stuff. They've made digital versions of uh, classic board games to look more like PC and sort of stylized so that you get, when you're playing Cluedo, you are actually inhabiting a character walking through the house when you roll the dice and stuff like that. The Game of Life right now actually won a couple of awards with just the little pegs of you guys going up and down in the car. There's a lot more inclusivity to it because in an essence, I feel that a lot of gamers feel the same frustration of a lot of people who really like fantasy and science fiction. When you're a gamer, you inhabit the world of the game. You recognize that there are clear rules. You have a set end goal and you know what the outcome is and you know who all the players are. It's very easy and it's very straightforward compared to life. And, and when things get particularly stuck in a game, you know that you're going the right way, and if it gets too hard, you can go online to find a walkthrough or a bit of help. You can't do that in life, as dismaying and as disheartening as that is. There's a comfort to it. I think that's ultimately the nature of being a geek. You're accepting that things outside aren't easy, but you choose to love the things on the inside because they are there for you it was choosing to say that the unwieldy and uncontrollable aren't as scary some of my very best friends and some very respected and good creators creators I respect and look up to a lot get a lot of flack in the gaming community because they're ladies, which I think is utterly unacceptable that in this day and age, the term girl gamer is still thrown up with a lot of contention. They are still gamers. They will beat you because they are good at what they do, or at the very least, they'll just have a lot of fun doing it because there's no wrong way to enjoy yourself. And that's something I really think people need to learn. There is no wrong way to enjoy yourself within the confines of the law and ethics and morality. In the world of the game, yes, there is no wrong way to enjoy yourself. But I'm still also very fortunate that as for myself, I've been able to surround myself with a lot of like-minded people. But in times before when I've had to explain my interests and own them with a great bit of pride, there's still a lot of confusion and a lot of mis misgivings to it. So will you do sit around and play games today? Yes. Isn't that a waste of time? What do you like to do? Oh, I just sort of sit around and watch telly. You... Yeah, like, what do you watch? 
oh, just like reality TV, just like, oh, so vapid fake rich people with no personality. They just sit there with very trivial issues that they get solved because they're part of the elite 1%. No, our, our interests are not comparable. Thank you. You're sitting there letting your brain rot. I'm thinking strategies constantly. With that, there's a sort of superiority there that I don't like to rest on. But again, if they're enjoying it, then that's all the strength of them. It's certainly better than just sort of like sitting there vapidly or uninterested. I think the biggest sort of complications I've had was back when I was at my very youngest. I was not given a nice time at school for my interest in science fiction, shall we say. But it never stopped me. I always consistently stuck with it through bullies and haters i don't know why i also don't know why it could have been very easy for me to just sort of pretend to be interested in the things they were into but i found my own interests and in what i liked far stronger and just always returned to it yeah i don't know i don't know any school age people these days i don't know if things have changed i feel like it has to a little bit the state of how entrenched comic books are in the current popular culture so much so that gritty versions of superheroes are making counterculture with stuff like invincible and uh, the boys and stuff like that there's has to be some working knowledge of it because when you look at stuff like ant-man and the wasp like specifically the Ant-Man and the Wasp, the production values and the effects of it to make someone tiny and giant and the superpowers of the main villain. 10, 15 years ago, that movie would have been enormous. It would have been a blockbuster that would have blown absolutely everyone's minds. But also because it's of a obscure comics character from the 60s, it would not have been made. This day and age, a movie like the Ant-Man and the Wasp, eh, it's... It's Marvel movie number twenty-seven. Yeah, it's but it's still bizarre that we live in a world where that's a thing, where comic book culture is not geeky anymore. It's passe. But then again, I suppose that there's some part of the of the media that's still so inherently geeky that most normies won't touch it. Yeah, actually, why am I even calling them normies? That's it's assumed it's there's still a part of the actual term geek that is so like othered. I think it like I think the actual root for the word geek is like a German pejorative. I think it means like outsider or idiot or weirdo. I think. Don't quote me on that, but I'm pretty sure it's something to do with that. But it will always be a part of it that's sort of like othered and distant. And I still don't quite know why when it's personally a stronger, more fulfilling way to be. By being a geek, you recognize that there is inherent goodness and excitement and hope in more things. You get to see that you can enjoy life, you can make a difference, you can create things, and you can inspire others to be excited with you. Because when someone says geek to me, someone says gamer or nerd or weirdo, that just is a very bad non-insult. That's them saying, oh, you're excited about things. Oh, you enjoy things. I don't understand how the inverse is worse than what I'm feeling. I don't get how people can 
turn on the TV, see a trailer for something that I know that they know that they like, and be like, oh, okay, that looks interesting. We'll catch that later. A true geek, someone that I can really relate to, would be like, oh my god, that thing's coming out. <gasps> yes, I'm so excited. That's gonna be so good. I have to go see it. Like that energy just really resonates to me because that feels like they're feeling something. If in a, it's so easy to let yourself get desensitized and to get caught up in the motions of oh, okay, this is coming. That'll be good. I'll catch that later. No, you want to go see it now. Even if it's something that I'm not super interested in, when I see someone like get hype like that, get that excited, I feel for them. I feel that, yes, there's something that they truly love and they're being rewarded by their loyalty to go out there and see it. So, great. Be excited. Love it. Live it. You are what you love, not who loves you. You can hear more from Adam on the podcast I Am The Knight, where he and Steve watch through the Batman animated series, or on the YouTube channel, The Hostile Atmosphere. You can read Adam's work on Fantastic Universes, Apotheosis Studios, and .gg. You can contact Adam on Twitter at IsItTinkerer. As always, all links are available in the show notes. Geek is a super dummy production for Fantastic Universes. Find out more at fantasticuniverses.com and superdummy.co.uk slash geek. You can contact the show on Twitter at era of geek or by email geek at superdummy.co.uk you can support the show and fantastic universes by joining our patreon patreon.com slash fantastic universes